0: Drink up. I want to mention the book again. That if you are were um, if you know what this book is, that means you you weren't in church Sunday. Um, and and I've sent out a GOL um, this afternoon, just encouraging you to um, if you weren't with us Sunday, it, that you'd listen to that. Not that it was so ravingly good. But it does introduce kind of a new um, theme direction uh, emphasis perhaps, and it, it involves reading this book and by the way, this book is not the uh the greatest thing ever written i mean don't don't approach it with too high in expectations, but it does raise issues and it does call a spade a spade and and it's refreshing that somebody calls a spade a spade and and um, uh, some of the the uh, accusations that are leveled at the Christian Church, not not Gracey Van, the Church. They, they address that stuff, and it's just really, it was kind of heartwarming to find that somebody did it. So uh, it's still available to you, <clears throat> and what we're hoping is that you'll take it um, with you on your vacation and uh, read it. And when the time, by the time you get back in August, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff being said about themes found like found in that book. All right. Um, now I know that y'all are all making fun of me and and talking bad about um, my little um, my little handout that I am doing every week. I'm going to do it one more time and then and I know that you probably stick your gum in here and then wad it up and and um, and and never use it. But I, I'm telling you, if if you would master um, the the information that's on here and some of it, you know, not everything. Um, you know, you can eliminate some of this, but. If you would pretty much master what's on this sheet, I'm telling you, you would find yourself more confident when and if the Lord ever gave you an opportunity to share your faith with someone. It is, it is a presentation of the gospel. Um, it starts with those two questions that if you'd memorize, you'd, you'd find yourself with lots of springboards. And then, um, and then this enticement of telling somebody that heaven's a free gift and it can't be earned and deserved. And then you're, then you're into this discussion about man being a sinner. Um, and just some of those things in there that that might help you establish that point, which brings us to the point of the evening having to do with god and and you 'll notice that in the outline that the um, there 's two things that uh that you 're that you 're taught uh, to tell people about God, one of them uh, is that God is love <laughs> i i 'm not laughing at that because um, it 's laugh worthy i 'm laughing at that because it 's such a um, um, a widely assumed truism that everyone seems to know. It's like Geico insurance, you know. If, if for 15 minutes, you could say 15% on your car insurance, and everybody knows that. Well, everybody seems to know that, that God is love. And, and ladies and gentlemen, the, this book does teach that. Um, I, I wonder if you know that it teaches it twice, um, both in the same chapter of Scripture in 1 John 4, uh, now, I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm simply pointing out that um, <clears throat> in our culture where, um, where this is mentioned, um, it's like that's the only thing about God that, that exists. In fact, um, that fact of God's being loved is presumed upon as if it's God's duty to forgive sin because he is love, you see. So because he is love, of course he forgives sin. Of course he does that, etc. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that um, uh, because there's something underneath it that not very many people do realize and that, that, that uh, this book teaches more than just that God is love. And this is something I love to do, and I've done it. Uh, I've, I've really done it dozens of times, of course, that, maybe not dozens, but I've done it a dozen times across the course of my ministry, but... I always love to, and of course, you're, you're about to, you're, you, you're going to get this right because I've already prepped you for it. But the question is, um, if you were asked to summarize the nature and the character of God in one English word, what one English word would you use? If you were to ask, if somebody put this, uh, this question to you, okay, I want you to summarize God's nature in one word. What is the best word available to you in the English language? And without a moment's hesitation, our culture would choose the word love. And by choosing that word, they would be wrong. Because the word love is not the best word that summarizes the nature and the character of God. Um, but because the, the, this, the, our culture is so lopsided, it's so upside down, upside down it's so skewed... Um, and that there is such an insistence that God is this such that He will, um, so that He will forgive my sin. Um, the, the 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 overwhelming truth contained in this book is ignored. Now, guys, um, I, I want to read you a quote from A. W. Tozer. It's it's brief, but Tozer says this: What comes into the mind when we think about God? is the most important thing there is about us. Now, if that is true, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing that there is about us, then it's very important that you understand that the word love is not the best summary of God's character and if in your quietude and you think about god and the first thing that pops into your mind is love then you my friend have been you've been distorted by your culture because there's no way that you could support such a position from this book the word that best summarizes the nature and the character of god is of course the word, holy. Now, every time I say that, I feel like, what? What are you talking about? You remember, you remember that that, that story in in Acts chapter seventeen, where Paul is waiting for Timothy in Athens. And he's walking down the streets of Athens and he sees all these gods. And he sees a god to fertility and a god of warfare and a god of the weather and the god of economy and the god of uh, wheat and the god of um, uh, the sea. And and then at the end of the the road there, um, he comes to a statue that says, uh, to the unknown god. And so what the the Athenians were doing was, okay, we've got all these statues for God, but just in case we missed one. We're going to put a statue up for that one that we missed. We're going to call him the unknown God. You know, we don't want to offend any of the gods, you know. So we got got the unknown God. And so Paul sees that and it provokes him. And so he goes into the Agora, which was the marketplace where all the the philosophical debate went on. And um, he stands up and and, uh, he says, That God that is an unknown God to you, I am here to tell you about. Now, I say that to say this. Every time I stand in front of an audience and I say the word that properly and best summarizes the nature and the character of God is not love, it's the word holy. I, it's, like I'm, it's like I've just introduced an unknown God. What? I mean, you couldn't be right about that. God is not, I mean, it, oh, I just didn't I didn't learn that in Sunday school, no, sir. And so, in a defense, of myself and my position, I, I I feel almost duty bound to defend my assertion, and my assertion is that the one English word that best summarizes the nature and the character of God is not love, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand? If that's true, if I'm right, and, and the right word is holy, do you see what an influence that has on the whole subject of? Sin. If I'm right, and, and the the most dominant feature and characteristic trait of God is his holiness, do you see what happens to sin? Sin gets more serious because holiness is that thing that, that makes God intolerant of sin in his presence. And if God is holy, then sin is a bigger deal. And that's why I think the culture doesn't like it. You know, we we like something, you know, smoother. And so we immediately conclude that that the word that best summarizes his nature and his character is love, and that's just not true. So I am here tonight, I come to you tonight to preach to you the unknown God. (laughs) Like Paul in Athens. Um, Because, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that you think about first, the the thing that you think about God first, according to Tozer, is the most important thing about you. So your concept of God is, is important. Now, um, l- let me show you something, and, and, and I'm gonna. What I'm all I'm doing, what I'm gonna do, is defend my position. I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend th- this proposition. The proposition is that the word holy, not love, but the word holy, is the word that best summarizes the nature and character of God. All right. If you got a Bible, uh, see if you can find Proverbs real quick, and um, let me let me show you something about. Um, uh, scripture and, and um, Hebrew poetry. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Now, I, I, I've said this to you before. Um, you know, Hebrew poetry is different than our poetry. Uh, Hebrew poets did not rhyme words. Roses are red, violets are blue. You know, I'm fat and you are too. Or, you know, the, the, the poets didn't do that. What they did is that they, they, they didn't rhyme things. They, they communicated truths through in, in a prosaic manner. Um, and, and they would repeat things like you find in uh, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right, there's, there's several key words in that one text. Um, the fear... Oh, it's working. It's a miracle. Um, fear of God is what? Understanding? Um, it oh, it's wisdom. Is uh, wisdom. So... Okay, there's, there's the summation of the A part of that verse. The first, the, the first part. And so then the Hebrew poet comes back and says, okay, I want to say that, and I want to say it a different way. I want to say the same thing, but I'm just going to use some different words. Um, I'm going I'm I'm to repeat myself, but I'm going to use some different words to do that. Okay, so he comes to fear, and he says, okay, I'm going to use the word knowledge. That is a, a, a good um, a synonym for fear. And then he comes to, to, to wisdom and he chooses the word understanding. Then he comes to the word God. And he sits and he thinks and he says, Okay, what word what, what word should I choose to be a synonym for that? I know. Love. And the knowledge of love or knowledge of the loving one is understanding. You notice in your text he doesn't do that. The knowledge of the Holy One. Because in the mind of the Hebrew poet, this is the thing that best equates to that. Now, guys, um, that's argument number one. I've got 11 more to establish my position that the word that best summer, if the most important thing about you is what you think about God, then I need to help you think right about him. Wouldn't you say? And so I'm telling you, the first thing that should pop into your mind is not love. It is holy. Here's my first argument. Here's my second one. And you can keep count. God is never, not once, ever, addressed by men or angels or devils under any circumstances whether in praise or adoration or petition, as love or loving. Not one time in this entire book is God ever addressed by men or angels in any circumstances as love or loving. He's addressed as righteous, he's addressed as holy, but he's never addressed as loving. Never Well, this book just is out of balance, I guess. Because that we can't live with that, not in the 21st century. Okay, how about this argument? This is number three, and I love this one. Because I'm telling you, this just shocks people to their toenails. You know what the book of Acts is? The book of Acts. You know, you got uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. It's written by Luke. You know that. It's the second volume of Luke's work. you got Luke, volume one, and Acts, volume two. Well, um, Luke is giving you what the Holy Spirit continued to do once Pentecost occurred and the church began to develop and grow. You know that. It's It's a history book. It's the early historical record of the church. That's what the book of Acts is, all right? In that book, of course, you get all kinds of things that go on about the church. And you get four or five sermons in there. You get a couple by Peter, and several by Paul, and one by Stephen, and you've got, you got several, let's say six, I don't know exactly how many, but six sermons in the book of Acts preached by the church at her earliest, and I might add, her most full, or fullest of the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay, with that in mind, this might interest you. Not once is the love of God ever used as a theme in any of those early sermons recorded in the book of Acts. Not one sermon in the book of Acts ever chooses as its theme the love of God. I mean, how did they ever preach the gospel, for heaven's sakes? Those guys must have not known what they were doing in the book of Acts. But just in case that didn't impress you, how about this? In fact, the love of God is never mentioned in any sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Never mentioned. I mean, how does the church ever expand when they're not talking about the love of God? In fact, the word love is never found in the entire book of Acts. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, I am not telling you to not tell people about the love of God. What I'm telling you is to tell them about the love of God, not the love of love. And all I can tell you is, Peter and Paul and Stephen. I'll go with them. Um, fourth, God uses names. You know that He's got all kinds of names in the Old Testament, and by which He He um, He reveals Himself. He He exposes Himself. He He tells people what He's like. Via, via names, you know that. Exodus 3, Yahweh, I am that I am. You know, his self-existence and all. You, you, I think you know that. Not once does he ever say, I, the Lord thy God, am a loving God. Never. He says, I, the Lord thy God, am a merciful God. I'm faithful. I'm righteous. But never. Never does he ever say, I, the Lord thy God, am a loving God i got to pick up the pace here. Um, Fifth, everything that you know about God can be modified by the word holy, but you cannot do that with the word love. What kind of wrath does God have? He has holy wrath. What kind of love does God have? He has holy love. But try doing that with the word love. What kind of wrath does God have? Loving wrath. Uh, What kind of love does he have? Wrathful love. The one word that'll describe everything that will describe uh, everything that you know about God that will properly describe him is the word holy. Number six, you can put the word holy in front of everything God has ever done or will do. For instance, Sodom and Gomorrah. What is it that evoked that display of God's judgment? It was his holiness. How about this? Calvary, the cross. What was it, ladies and gentlemen? What was it that spawned that? You could say love, and yet there was also a judgment on sin. What it was was a display of holy love and holy wrath. Love for his own wrath against sin. Both holy. Number seven, Job describes God in chapter 6, verse 10 as holy. Holy. David describes God in, in Psalm 111, uh, verse 9, as hmm, holy. Isaiah describes God uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 17, and 37, 23, as hmm, the holy one of Israel. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but I would rather go with Job, David, and Isaiah than um, Joel Osteen. I, I'm not trying to be funny, ladies and gentlemen. I'm simply saying that you've got this cultural emphasis that is completely out of accord with what this book has to say. And who's been affected? We have. Because the first word that would pop out of our mouths as to descriptive of God is love, and it would be wrong. How did that happen? Um, number eight, God prefixes holy. In front of everything he touches or with which he is identified. Does God have a throne? Yes. What kind of throne? It's a holy throne. Psalm 47, 8. Does God dwell on a mountain? Yes, he does. What kind of mountain? It's a holy mountain. Uh, Psalm 48, 1. Does God speak? Yes, he does. Psalm 60, verse 6. In his holiness. Does God take an oath? Sure he does. Psalm eighty-nine, thirty-five. He takes an oath in his holiness. Is there a heaven? Yeah. Psalm 120, verse 6. It's a holy heaven. Ninth, in the book of Isaiah, God is referred to as the Holy One of Israel 31 times. In the book of Leviticus, does anybody, I mean, we, we skip the book of Leviticus, we read Genesis, we read a little bit of an Exodus, and we're really bored about chapter 32, and, and so we skip those last 18 chapters and get over to Leviticus, blood oh! We move on to, uh, no, oh no, not Monday. We, we do a little bit of Deuteronomy and then we really get into Joshua and have fun. But not Leviticus. You know what Leviticus is? What is it? It's, it's a book on worship, ladies and gentlemen. It's when you approach me, you bring this, this sacrifice for sin. If you, and when you come, you do this. This is a sin offering. This is a trespass offering. This is a thank offering. This is what the priest does. This is what you do. This is where the blood goes. This is what atonement it is. It's It's how to worship him. In the book of Leviticus, the word holy is used 87 times. In that same book, the word love is used twice. And both times, it is love your neighbor. Tell me, how do angels address God? Well, we see that in a couple of instances. Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4. You remember Isaiah chapter 6? I mean, that's a biggie. And, um, and he, uh, Isaiah says, a Woe to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips because he has seen Yahweh seated on his throne. And the angels, and the cher- the angels fly through, and the cherubim and the seraphim, and they're singing a song. You know what they're singing. Love, love, love. Mercy, mercy, mercy. No. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, in the Bible, the way that emphasis is made, it's always made by repeating things. Only one thing is ever repeated to the superlative. You've got Abraham, Abraham, or Absalom, Absalom, Uh, My uh, uh, Lord, Lord, but there's only one thing that is raised to the third power. And it's done twice. And both of them are holy, holy, holy. That's the only thing in the Bible that you'll find, raised to the third power. I guess that's the way to say it. What about Jesus? Uh, how, does, how does Jesus address the Father? John 17, 11. Holy Father. Never does Jesus address him. Loving Father. He never says that. Well, he just must not have understood the, the, the sign of the times. I'll tell you who's off base, ladies and gentlemen, not Jesus. And it's not Job, it's not David, it's not Isaiah, it's not Moses in the book of Leviticus. It is us. We're the ones who are far afield. The Trinity. We believe in a Trinity. If you don't believe in a Trinity, you're not a Christian. Now, explaining the Trinity is another matter, <laughs> and um, and I'm not man enough. Um, but we believe that all three persons of those Trinity, we, we, we believe that God is three persons and one person all at the same time. Um, well, could you explain that, Dr. Young? <laughs> no, I couldn't. Um, but we believe that. You know, uh, all Christians do. Uh, we got the Father. We got the Son. And then we've got a Spirit who is the essence of, the, of, the, of deity. He is equal in power and glory and authority and might with the other two persons of the Trinity. And what kind of Spirit is He? Oh, yeah. He would be a holy spirit, guys, once you get that down, everything about sin changes you don 't toy with it, and you know that it 's a big problem um it 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 humbles you oh, oh oh by the way um does God have a people? Uh, yes, he does. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. What kind of people are they? Oh, they are a holy people. Why? Because they belong to a holy God. Gang, I am not by any stretch of the imagination trying to undo your commitment to God as love. This book says it twice, and that's plenty for me. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I'm simply saying that it is not the word that best summarizes who God is. And once you begin to see that God is too holy to even look upon iniquity, once you see that, which, by the way, is stated in Habakkuk 1, verse 13, once you see that this God is too, too holy to even let his eyes glance at sin, it'll, it'll change the way you do everything. Okay, but, Jimmy, um, help me out here. I mean, um, didn't we say last week, um, uh, I mean, I mean, I, th- I thought we said, I mean, I thought I was listening. I mean, of course, I was really making my grocery list as while you were talking. But uh, um, um, didn't we say that man is a sinner? Yeah, we said this right in the outline. It's uh, under Roman number two. We said man's a sinner. Well, um, doesn't that pose a problem? You bet it does, ladies and gentlemen. You bet your bippy it does. When God says in, in Exodus chapter 34, I will by no means clear the guilty. You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at a room full of guilty people. And God says, I will by no means clear the guilty. And you know, I said last week that I had 66,000 sins, which is a conservative estimate. What in the world are we going to do about that? Well, then, well, then, then, um then, I, um, you know, <laughs> I think I told you the story about the man that I was working out with, and um, he was telling me about his, his sister in law who was such a fine, fine person. And, 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 I, and I said to this man, I said, Joe, that's not his name. I said, Joe, um, you know, we're not saved by our good deeds, we're saved by the finished work of Christ. And he looked at me, he said, well, I think it's a little of both. Now, guys, do you know what that says? That says that if I, you know, go to church and teach Sunday school and give a little money, that I can deal with that. If I'm just a, you know, pretty good little boy, a little girl, you know, I'll just take care of that 66,000 sin. Is sin punished? Yes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel. Because the gospel tells us God has punished our sin in another. He who has eyes are too holy to even look upon my iniquity has found a way to deal with my 66 and your 166. And it's done, the solution is found. In an alien righteousness, you know I'm in a I'm in a um, an email exchange that I'm really tired of. I'm really tired. Of it. um, but it's it's a brother in this church who is a good brother, and he's got family members that are Roman Catholics, and these Roman Catholics are absolutely beating him up. Um, all this stuff about the Pope doing this and the Pope is this and the, and (laughs) this, uh, it is the church that gave us the Bible. And I mean, he is just, and, and apparently his, um, his, his relatives are pretty well informed about Roman Catholicism. And I, and I applaud that, I guess. And he's made an appointment with me and he wants me to answer all of his questions. And, and, you know. I got a lot of answers for him. But you know what? We don't, need to, we don't need to talk about any of this. Do you know what's being said? What's being said is Jesus in his death has qualified me to save myself if I work hard enough. I don't need to say any more. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see how utterly unthinkable such a notion is? Do you see then who is the real Savior or your real Savior? That would be you. You saved you. I don't need to talk about the Pope. I don't need to talk about the Virgin Mary. I don't need to talk about Immaculate Conception. I don't need to talk about that. At the heart of it, ladies and gentlemen, is it's a gospel that says you save yourself. You you deal with your sin by balancing the books, by doing 66,001 good things, And then the scales tip over, and you, you can, you're saved. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the only person who could imbibe something that foolish is someone who has never seen God. If you see him like this, then you clamor for a Savior. And the good news of the gospel is, there is one. His name's Jesus. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will adjust us, that we might think um, higher and better and purer and and more biblical thoughts about who you are and what you've accomplished so freely, so graciously, for sinners in Christ Jesus. Oh God, we have a gospel to preach, and it's a doozy. It's a gospel that points people away from their supposed goodnesses and points them to the one who is altogether lovely, Christ Christ and only Christ. So now, Father, would you um, would you enable us to share this gospel with a world that needs to hear not about some applesauce kind of flimsy love, but the love of God. God, who hated sin so much that the only remedy that he could find was to send his only beloved and begotten son to die in our place. What a message that is, Father. And we get the privilege of sharing it. Use us, Lord, to broadcast that. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night, and you can get a book on the way out if you like.